Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 112th film. It's the 2018 drama Private Life, directed by Tamara Jenkins, stars Paul Giamatti, Catherine Han, Kaylee Carter, Molly Shannon, John Carroll Lynch, Desmond Bogues, and Dennis O'Hare. I am Jesse, and I'm here with MJ. How are you? Yes, you are. I'm good, mate. How are you? Good. I didn't butcher any names this week. I- <laughs> Thought you were pretty good. I would say Catherine Hahn, though, not Catherine Han. I work with a colleague, and um, uh, I think it's just so. Yeah, I, I say it that way because I know that that person doesn't like it being said the other way. So that's probably a, a personal, um, yeah, issue. So yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I could be wrong anyway. Uh, but yeah, I would just uh, that's a good, that's a good call out though. Well, 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 well specified. <laughs> that, that, that's the only reason because usually I used to be like that, but now I've, I've embedded in my brain that I've got to say it that way. <laughs> I don't want to piss her off. No, no, not at all. Um, so yeah, good to see you. Um, obviously, still not together, but we can see each other through the computer screen because we are still. Um, Hopefully, not lockdown. too, not too long to go. Melbourne's doing a good job. We obviously probably got the harshest lockdown rules in the world at the moment, but. Uh, the results are speaking for themselves, and hopefully in the next few weeks we'll be out and about again. Fingers crossed. Yes, that would be uh, very nice. But I guess we're we're here to discuss this uh, film called Private Life today, and we start our show with our fast flicks where we give a quick summary of what we think. Oh, sorry, what the plot's about, I guess. So, MJ, what's your fast flicks for this one? Yeah, so it's about a New York City couple who battle fate. They battle each other uh, as they leave no stone unturned to try and fall pregnant. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it together. I've just said it's a better couple that face the difficulties of trying to conceive. Um, yep, that's it. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sure we've got lots to talk about this one. So let's um let's move into our next part where we discuss how this uh, was put together or how you know it came to be this film. So what have you been able to work out? Yeah, well, it's so we've obviously just touched on what the uh, the premise of the film is about. In fact, you know what? Let's do a spoiler alert right now. Uh, not that we're going to go too many spoilers during the, the overview, but um, yeah. if uh, if you haven't watched this film, Private Life on Netflix, um, and you are interested in watching it, we're going to spoil it. So if you don't like spoilers, maybe turn off now and um, have a watch and then come back. But um, yeah, look, I think the main thing about this this story is that it is based on, in part, um, Tamara Jenkins, who, who wrote and directed the film, her own experiences of going through fertility treatments. And it's interesting hearing her sort of speak about while she was going through it, it was, you know, so far from the top of her mind that she was going to create a film about this kind of thing. And um, obviously, time passes and things become a lot easier, but I guess one of the call-outs for her was, was seeing how many people go through it and and seeing the despondence and seeing how normal it actually can be that why not write a story about it because it, it is relatable and it is an important story to tell. So that was how she she got the idea in the first place. Um, obviously, it's not autobiographical in any stretch of the imagination, but the premise is, is based off her own experiences to some extent. So um, it was... January 4, 2017, when it first got reported that at that stage, Catherine Hahn was coming on board to to star in, in Private Life, which was written and directed by Tamara Jenkins. Netflix already on board at this point. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, Paul Giamatti joined the cast as well. So that was kind of kind of the crux of, of everything there. Um, it was basically... 
March of 2017, so only a month or two after that, they basically started principal photography in, in, in White Plains in New York. The film itself was shot in over around about 30 days. Um, I find it really interesting that um, this was actually meant to be done by another studio at the time um, and they couldn't finance this film with the budget that would allow them to shoot in New York. And if you watch this film, it's it's a huge part of the story, the fact that, it, that they're New Yorkers and they're in the middle of New York and basically they had everything ready to go and ready to shoot and all the cast had their schedules lined up and they couldn't film in New York and they were potentially going to have to move it to Montreal, which, you know, just would have changed everything. I mean, keeping it New York, but it just wouldn't be the same. Um, and then old Netflix came on board um, and basically said, yep, we can give you what you need to go. You can keep shooting this in New York. And all of a sudden, they've got a new Netflix original film. So a nice little SOS story from Netflix there, which I appreciate. Um, and so, yeah, the film was shot in over 30 days. Netflix was on board and premiered at Sundance uh, just under a year later. So it's still still quite a while in the can. Um, Sundance in January 2018. And then even longer uh, until it, it screened at the New York Film Festival on the, on the start of October 2018 before coming out on Netflix on the 5th of October and also a little bit of a theatrical release there as well. Um, so from filming this film in start of 2017 to not hitting our screens till end of 2018 is quite a long time, but that Netflix, this, this film was, was bigger than the average Netflix film and obviously they wanted to put into a few film festivals and where it probably deserves to be, so... I'll stop talking now because I think I've been talking for quite a while. <laughs> I've been rambling um, on. I, I, like, I enjoyed it. I was going to jump in every now and then with um, <laughs> some little bits to add to your stories because I think that, yeah, you've, you've done a good job of, of putting that together because, yeah, I mean, Tamara Jenkins, I think that you touched on this, that, you know, that that basis around sort of issues that she may have had in her, her sort of um, experience as well. And um, I, I read this interview with her where she was talking about, you know, her and her partner were going through this um, fertility hell, she called it. And in between doctor's mm. appointments, they decided to, to go to the cinema. So um, <laughs> the only option was this upstate New York multiplex. And they ended up seeing Knocked Up, um, Judd Apatow's Knocked Up. And, um, you know, she was just like, they have this one night stand. It's like, ta-da, there's a baby. And it was like the the most awkward sort of situation to be in and and you know she said they were sitting in the audience like oh my god people have sex to get pregnant <laughs> like they've totally forgotten about that part so I thought that was a quite a little funny anecdote about about um you know the experience of, of this process that she had to go through too um and, yeah. and you touched on this before as well with um you know you mentioned Amazon Studios were on board with this film to start off with and they developed it for a few years and um and obviously you know and, and Tamara Jenkins said it was so complicated because at the end of the day, she's not negative towards Netflix, but she's happy that, that she was able to build this story because without them, it wouldn't have got done in the end. But at the same time, mm. she wanted that bigger budget. Like she, I think in the end it was, they got $9 million, um, which she wasn't quite happy with. So she still calls it complicated, um, but she was happy that more people would be exposed to this because of Netflix, possibly than any other movies that she's seen. So even though she didn't get the budget she wanted, she was still happy that it got out there to the people that she could see. Um, did you yeah, have, have you a go. comparison for that $9 million budget? I didn't. I, I looked for a budget. I couldn't find it. I've done, I've got a, I've got a little, um, I, I was like, Oh, this one was hidden away deep dark. And I was like, <laughs> I might turn this on MJ a little bit. Good so, boy. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, so um, this one, um, the other sort of films around this time. So we've got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2003. We've got Nine Mil. Purge. Yep, Nine Mil. We've got Purge Anarchy. We've got Midsommar from 2019. We've got Happy Death Day 2, also from the same year, as well as Escape Room. We've got a couple of little of Australian films. Yeah, a little, couple of few Australian films like The Sapphires um, and Beneath Hill 60 from you know, 2012, 2014. And then just yep. to complete out of context, James Bond, Thunderball from the 60s, also on a $9 million budget, which obviously <laughs> it would have been inflated massively, but you get that idea. It's a little um, independent sort of production from a small country film-wise or a horror film, I guess, is the way of it. Hor- oh, yeah, or it's a horror budget, which they make yeah. cheap and they... Lot, get lots of money from so interesting yeah it, it is a small budget for, for a drama film like this right but yeah that's what you get when you when you're trying to get a get a film that like it's 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 a hard sell right like if i'm a big studio i don't think i'm putting this into cinemas and getting my money back hmm. the i guess the other little anecdote that i liked from this was um catherine what do i call her han uh, said that um, <laughs> That she she read the script for this and you know she thought she was going to have no chance of getting this role so she actually got a, got on the plane to New York um, and took Tamara um, Jenkins out for dinner to sort of charm her uh, which which is such a nice story to hear that someone was so passionate about a project that they wanted to you know do everything they possibly could to to get on board for this one. Um, it's got to mean something, right? If you're a director, um, yeah. probably going through a bunch of bunch of screen tests and all of a sudden someone. You know, who's a big name. This was around the same time as Bad Mums, right? Like, mm. not that Bad Mums probably was, I don't know, would have been out before. So, you know, she's a big enough name and she she wants a piece of it. So that's got to be really, really appealing. Mm. You mentioned this one played at Sundance. The The cut at Sundance was nine minutes longer than the one we get on Netflix, but I couldn't find anywhere to see what the length difference was. So I'm not sure whether it's it was because... Right. There was a standing ovation. I don't know whether it's because there was an introduction from Tamara Jenkins and they counted that towards the runtime. I don't know, but I was, I'm really intrigued to sort of find out why the runtime was an extra nine minutes um, at Sunday. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that is, unless there was All a right. cut. Um, yeah, they possibly could have been. I'm nearly done because my last little part is the translations of the title. <laughs> I was waiting I, for this. I was actually going to look it up and I'm like, you know what? I want, I want to find <laughs> out whilst I'm on air with Jesse what the translations are. Well, in Brazil, it was called One More Chance, which sort of sort yep. of fits all right. In Greece, it was called it. Personal Life, which is, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. That's direct translation, basically. In Vietnam, it was called Privacy. And this is the, the one that stood out the most to me. It was in Taiwan. It was called Non-Pregnant Private Life. So ah, very specific. Very, very specific. So uh, that one was a, a yeah, it's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> gives a lot away for the title for that one. That should have uh, been our fast flicks. It, it could have been. It could have been. Uh, <laughs> What's this movie about? Non-pregnant private life. Oh yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, what? But did you see this one? It was nominated for some awards. Uh, yes, it was quite a few. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't write too much down because I was just like. It got one win off 15 nominations. So that was, um, that's quite a few noms, I guess. Yeah. Nothing from Sundance or New York Film Festival. I did, I did notice, but, um, I actually yeah. think the one win, I can't remember what festival it was from, and I probably should check it, it but it was, Central, it was a Central Ohio Film Critics Association Awards. There you go. And that was for Kaylee Carter, wasn't it? And it was for Best Overlooked Film. Ah, what a, what a random category. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was the one. <laughs> it's a good one, though. Yeah, well, yeah, why not? Oh, goodness. Um, I had a percentage for this match for this. First time in so a while. Oh, good. Well, fill me in. 91. Ooh. That yep. is, um, <laughs> it's big. Extreme, yeah, extremely high. The uh, This one was interesting because I jumped on to add it to my – or to, to start it, so it was in my continue watching. So I usually jump on, press play, play like 10 seconds and pause. So I did that on one day and it said 79%. Next day I came back, it dropped to 78 so they obviously take the data and go, I didn't continue watching it. Let's drop a drop a percentage point off. That's very interesting. And did you watch anything else in between? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so it still is very close, but they decided to take that one percentage point off. It's interesting. I love right, you can remember uh, it too. Yeah. <laughs> consensus time. What have you what have you what have you got for the consensus? Ooh, she's a popular one. Um a very nice 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, nearly 15,000 ratings. Very popular. Uh, Letterboxd has nearly 20,000 ratings, so more ratings and a 3.7 out of 5, so a higher rating as well. So it's a very popular film from uh, from the IMDb and Letterboxd audience. Google users had it at a bit lower at 79%, but still fairly high. Oof. Yeah, but um, Rotten Tomatoes is on board with everything else here. The critics had it at ninety four percent. That is Oof. on one hundred and four reviews, which is certified fresh. Um, and the audience had it at seventy eight percent on just under a thousand. So very high, very very high. One hundred and four critic reviews. So that's what happens when you put it through the uh, the film festivals. We actually get consensuses on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So this leads into our early thoughts. So before we kick into the rest of the show, what are your thoughts for this one? Yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with all that. Um, I thought it was really powerful, but it was also really personal and relatable. Um, it's a really tricky topic that doesn't necessarily lend itself to sitting on the couch and consuming for two hours at a time. But that's, I think, really well navigated by the performances from Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. I, I think all of us kind of know a, a Rachel and a Richard, and I think some of us are Rachel and Richard. Uh, and the way that was captured and portrayed was was really realistic. It was a little bit raw, not overly, a little bit raw. Um, but also I felt really comfortable just being in the hands of those two people. Um, and similar to the, to the movie that we did a while back, To the Bone, in a sense, it's a story that will hit home pretty heavily for some, whilst others will just be able to appreciate it from the periphery. I'm on the outside of both of those scenarios, to the bone being a story about anorexia and, and eating disorders. Uh, I'm on the outside of both of those scenarios, but I certainly connected a lot more with private life. And I think it's because it took these familiar feelings and emotions about relationships and family struggles into this bubble of IVF and struggling to get pregnant. So from an understanding level, we could all still really relate without actually having been through that experience because what they were going through was still having trouble with their relationship and, and trying to figure out what to do next, which which we all know, which we've all done. So yeah, it, it did it did a good job for me. Yeah, extremely well put. Yeah, I I, I think that this was um, made really really well. I thought the performances were really really good. Um, and as you mentioned, sometimes this is sort of seen as a, a taboo topic, I guess, at times. And they sort of make mention of that at, at times throughout this film too. So 
I think that they did this in a, a nice sensitive way that like you mentioned, was still relatable, was still personable, was still believable. Um, and I think that, that was um, really impactful. And that, that's, mm. that's where I lead into for this one, I guess. Yeah. It's quite a feat to be honest. Hmm. All right. Well, we start off with our characters before we jump into some scenes. So fill us in on, on who you'd like to talk about that way. I think, I think I want to start with Richard, even though I think Rachel's probably your key. I just, the something about Richard that I connected with more probably from a male perspective, which is just, just how I watch films a lot of the time. But I, I just think he, he puts up this supportive, but exhaustive facade basically throughout the whole film. And he wants to do and he wants to say the right things to Rachel, but he also doesn't want to lose his voice. And you notice when he says things like, you, you can't blame modern medicine, you know, when you, you're the one that decided to put off having kids, which at the time, like, you know, that's the wrong thing to say. And he knows that's the wrong thing to say, but he just still feels like it needs to be said. And then he obviously, he backtracks on this stuff as soon as he says them. And whenever he knows that, you know, he's upset, Rachel, because uh, that's never his intention. He, he just kind of wants to let her know because he's a logical thinker. He's a rational frame of mind and he needs to let that opinion out all the time, despite the fact that he knows it's the wrong thing to say. And I, I think to me that that connected with me a lot because that's that's not a that's not a uh, IVF or pregnancy thing. That's a that's a male female thing. Right. And I think you've got this guy with such as such a rational brain trying to navigate through this situation, which is more emotional than anything else. And that, and that's how he can handle it. He, he needs to have his say, even though he doesn't want to do or say the wrong thing and putting up this facade, which is not a, not a huge facade. It's still, he still gives away most of who he is, but it's, it's an exhausting facade for him. And it, it becomes almost too much. And I think it all kind of culminates at the end when that process is over. And he's kind of like, I'm kind of glad because this is just, and it goes to your point about Tamara Jenkins before. Is this, is this how what it's like to have a baby? Is this is this what we got to do to have a baby? You lose sight of it all. And I just I love the way that Paul Giamatti navigated that character, but that character just existed in a way that felt completely normal because of the circumstances. It worked so well. Yeah, I'm, I haven't got too much to add. I think that um that you, you've put it really well that the the support that he showed and the care that he showed throughout was was just commendable and you know there were those times that he slipped like you mentioned but i really appreciated that you did get to see him snap at the end and you did get to see mm. that this is taking a toll on him as well um that you know he's not carrying or trying to carry this child but you know the the, the impact of these these constant battles that they're having not just with medical professionals but it within their own relationship um i think that it was just nice to see at the end that it, it added so much more to his character than rather just saying seeing him go the whole way through just being this this mm. you know the same sort of defensive sort of shield so I, I liked that and and i and this leads into rachel a little bit i guess as well but mm. i liked that they set them both up like he's got that block testicle and and that they make this deal about her not being as fertile as she used to be as well so it i think they did a really good job of not putting the blame on either of these characters and I think that um, it sort of simmered nicely that both of them just, although they just wanted this one thing together and they were both trying to do what they could do and what they thought was the right thing to do. And, and there was no need to blame either or no need to have one of them come off mm. worse than the other one. And I really worse. appreciated that. I think, yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, and then that's, 
that's an important part of telling this story because this story isn't about it's not about a specific relationship where this might have gone wrong or someone was at fault and someone supported another person. The story itself is about these well-intentioned, this well-intentioned couple that's trying to have a child and it doesn't matter who or why they can't. The fact is they can't and and that's a universal story for so many people and it's a really good pickup that you, you never actually think about why they're not having it and, and whose fault it might be. It's just that this is what we want and unfortunately we're going through hell just to get it and it's not fair. Yep. Well, lead into Rachel. What, what are your thoughts on her? Well, if, if, if Richard is that rational mind, Rachel is, is the exact opposite in the sense that she's particularly emotional. Um, and she thinks and she behaves with her emotions, which is, you know, probably the trait that makes her the charismatic, fun and likable character that she is. Um, but this process puts her through emotional and physical turmoil, like the, the instability of the unknown that's what's happening, regardless of the fact that what she's putting her body through, um, she's at the extremes of, of her emotional being throughout this whole film. And, and as much as it seems you could watch this film and think that, oh, maybe this couple's not right for each other. And then they talk about where they haven't had sex for a year and all that kind of stuff. But they are actually perfect for each other because they do complement each other, how different they are. And um, I, I commend her as much as I commend him with the way she navigated it. And um, I don't think you can talk about Rachel as well without talking about the performance from Catherine Hahn. It's, it's great to see that we, we know how badly she wanted this role, but and she knocked it out of the park as well. It was they, they, this felt like a real couple, like an absolutely real couple that not only had a, would you hear about that you know that you'd hang out with, and that, that's what made this movie work so well. Yeah, I, I really like that you you touched on that idea that yes, she's emotional, but it, they didn't make it out like she's an irrational, emotional female. It was because of this comp, the you know the complications of the medication, the the stressful situations, the the struggle of just trying to get through day to day of the stresses. And I think that um, that build up of that, that stress of trying to make this happen for so long was just, um, yeah, it was excellently done. And there was no stage at all that I didn't think she was overreacting that I, mm. I didn't think that she was making calls or, or saying things that were, irrational or irresponsible i just think that the the script and the the development of her was was excellent yeah i agree with that i think it's worth pointing out as well that one of the main parts of this story is that and it's called private life like it's not specific to having a baby or trying to conceive regardless of what they were going through with trying to have this baby you know they were also dealing with like she was dealing with trying to get a book published and she couldn't agree with her publisher on certain elements of that they obviously had the the issues with their with the family, with um, the brother, the stepbrother, and her and the family. And when, when Sadie comes into it as well, and then you you also you know com- combine that with the fact that there's a financial toil that they're going through as well. This is more than just um, what they're trying to do, and I think it's a nice message that this doesn't life doesn't stop for this. Like just because you want to put it. I was going to say all your eggs in one basket. It's a horrible analogy. But just because you want to dedicate everything that you've got to this process doesn't mean that everything else in your life is just going to stop. And and that's that's really important too. And I think that's a nice, uh, nicely recognised in the film as well. That It's more than just this because when you are going through something this big and this stressful, you still got to deal with everything else too. 
Well, I think that probably leads into Sadie a little bit too, where you've got this idea of um, this um, step niece that um, is a is a part of the the family, and and she sort of um, I guess she looks up to Richard and Rachel as these almost parent like figures, and it, it's she's almost a reflection of them when they were younger. Um, she has this. Mm you know, she, she, she likes, wants to start this city life. She sees herself as an artistic type, which both of them are. And um, it's, it's quite funny that, you know, she drops out of college because of these, you know, she hates all these cliches of the people that she's studying with. However, it's almost like she's one herself and, um, yeah. you know, because she wants to do something with meaning and purpose and she's sick of what everyone else is telling her what to do. So um, I think they, they did a really good job of highlighting that realistically, she's just a kid. And they do this through scenes with her, with her phone. They, they, they show her point of view of her filming certain things. They show her hanging out the top of the car, all these types of things. And it's such a big decision or a big choice that someone so young has to make mm. because they want to be doing the right thing, um, which, yeah, a, a good character. I think, yeah, I, I agree with what you said because Sadie seemed to, but didn't understand the gravity of the situation. Like she probably used this opportunity with the best of intentions to pull herself out of her own little rut that she was in. And maybe throwing herself into this process really did work for her, but it wasn't the answer for what was happening in the big picture. And, and Rachel and Richard probably failed to think this through as well, including Sadie into the process. Um, but I, I think one thing that you can say about Sadie is that there's this refreshing stability that she brought not only to Rachel and Richard but also to the film in general like it changes tonally when she becomes a bigger player in this story it's, it's like this breath of fresh air in what was becoming a pretty cumbersome and depressing tale of these two people trying to get pregnant and failing miserably um but then for Rachel and Richard from a uh, when you're inside the actual story bringing someone into their bubble was actually quite refreshing for them as well. You know, her bright, happy-go-lucky attitude. It's kind of stopped them questioning the rights and wrongs of what they were doing and just go full steam ahead with the process. Like, even when she was on board, they weren't doing anything different to what they were doing initially, but it just felt like they had more purpose doing it. And and I think she works from a story perspective because in the audience, you don't, you don't want to spend two hours watching people struggle to get pregnant. Um, but she also works from a character perspective because it's exactly what Richard and Rachel needed at the time. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree because she provided that positivity and that 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 um, light at the end of the tunnel that they could possibly see, which picked them up as characters as well. Yeah. Uh, any other characters that you want to mention? Not specifically. Um, no, look, I mean, I do want to mention Sadie's mum, which Cynthia. is Cynthia. And, and just, just more to say that I like the fact that it, it was a four-dimensional character. It wasn't just this is potentially the villain of the film. She's obviously got some of those traits that she's the one that's against what's going on. But, you know, she's she's still struggling to come to terms with the fact that maybe she can't connect with her daughter and whether she's the perfect mum is, you know, remains to be seen. But I, I like that it wasn't just I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to condemn you. You know, she, she's still struggling to, to deal with, being a mum and letting her daughter go and thinking that her daughter is going to be safe in the world. And I think that's another, there's another type of character in there that people can relate to that might not have been connecting with other characters. And uh, I think I just appreciate that there was more to her. 
Yeah, I agree. Like that whole idea of that empty nest, not just with Sadie, but with the other daughter, Charlotte, I think her name was, you know, mm. getting that off at a college. And she was obviously going through her own um, hormone issues that, you know, that pulling the, the, the yeah. hairs out of her chin. And yeah. um, I, I, and I think everything you've said, I've agreed with. And I really enjoyed that they gave her that opportunity to come around and support Sadie, even if she wasn't happy with that choice. So uh, yeah, I think you're, you're right that they gave her enough to, to grasp onto her. And being supportive, not just for the sake of being supportive and not doing a full 180 on what you think, being supportive because at the end of the day, you're a mum and you need to be there. Um, she still didn't really agree with the idea. And that's great because it's normal, right? You don't just mm. change your mind, but you don't stop being that supportive uh, paternal figure. Yeah, good. All right. Um, Tamara Jenkins, did you have anything about her that you found interesting or want to bring up? Um, look, in terms of her sort of filmography, it, it's, it's around the three main feature films that she's done, including this one. Um, but I, I think the more interesting part of her is what we spoke about in the, um, yeah. in the opening about her experiences with the, with the subject. Cause yeah, I mean, I think the savages is the other one that people would probably know of hers with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney. I'd, I've heard of it, haven't seen it, but it's just, you know, it's good to see that it's such a long time in between. That was 2007, I think. And I think she said mm. she went and had kids and those types of things. So good to see her back working and, and still having that opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah, good call. All right. What are some scenes that in this one that you enjoyed? Yeah, cool. So I um, I really liked the scene how Rachel basically defined her resistance to, to wanting to get an egg donor. This is the scene where they had that argument in the street. Um, you know, I think the dialogue in that scene is excellent and the way that she's able to justify her feelings that that idea that if they went down that route that she would feel left out, um, which which comes to the fore later on as well with the way Sadie talks about our baby. Um, but I, I enjoyed the publicness of that argument. Um, I also like the rational way that um, Richard was able to walk through the option as to why it's a super feasible option. Um, and then uh, the way he backed down as soon as that she told him that she'd feel left out. And that, that was kind of sums up Richard, right? Like he's always going to say what he thinks is right because he's just got that brain and, and he explains it really well. But at the end of the day, um, he's there to support her and be there for her. And I think that scene kind of uh, just, just captured that beautifully. Yeah. I think that's probably the hard, that's probably the standout scene for me. Um, just, yeah. I mean, you've spoken everything about it anyway, but I did like the the conclusion where, you know, he keeps trying to hug her and she's pushing him off. And then, then finally they do embrace. And I think that was a really nice conclusion to, you know, it's, it reminds me of that argument in marriage story with, um, we, we, we've done a bonus podcast on where yeah. two people going at it very, you know, very upfront, very personal, very truthful. And then at the end, it's okay. We can, we can accept what we're saying about Comfort each other. Each other. Yep. And I think we've all been there as well, right? When you do have an argument and you try and offer physical support and it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do, but then it actually is the perfect thing to do. Uh, you, you don't you don't hate someone because you argue with them. In fact, when you're at your most vulnerable is when you need that support. So you're right. It was, it was beautiful. Um, following on from that, I actually, I really enjoyed the madness of the, um, the scene at Thanksgiving where Sadie drops the news and, her justification to her mum was really sound, but then her dad 
trying to understand both sides of the story. He doesn't want to take sides, but he's in, he's in a tough position as much as anybody, but him forcing them to take food home, kind of almost showing his support that it's okay. Not the end of the world. I know she's mad. I know we, we should be mad, but we will work through this. And the turmoil that it was causing all of them and the fact that Sadie called out her mum for being threatened by Rachel, which, you know, from what we've seen on screen so far, makes perfect sense. Um, how she spoke about making sacrifices to be a mum and that, that's not saying that Sadie's interested in doing to sacrifice her career. But all of this was done to the backdrop of that bloke talking about being 31 days sober. It just I, I just it just added to the madness of this whole scene that was all happening in, in the space of a few minutes. It, it just worked for me. <laughs> um, one thing I liked about this film in general was that every time that you see them in a waiting room, it's a, it's a full waiting room and there's blank and exhausted faces and you know, this stuff is so normal that they're going through and it's impacting so many people. And and here we are looking at one story and focusing on one story, but every single person in every single one of those waiting rooms has their own story. And I think that was really a really clever way to do it because they lingered on those scenes and they, they focused on every single time there's all these people where it's a full waiting room and everyone looks so despondent and it's it's just a cruel part of life. It's funny. I say it's a cruel part of life. It's It's obviously a marvel of modern medicine that we can make it happen for people who can't have children in the first place, but it doesn't make it a nice thing. Yeah, I, I really, I, uh, I really like that. I, 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 yeah. Just to touch on that. I think one of the things that I enjoyed was a lot of the, the way that they dealt with any type of medical situation. They, they did it in a way that they build, they, they build this feeling up through the, whether it was repetition or building this fear or this concern with, you know, the, the locations and, you know, there's the scenes where, you know, one of the, the, medical people starts playing music during the procedure just this that that you know that that song has been played for so many people that have probably gone through that procedure the same with the anesthetist who you know says yeah, oh my yeah. eight-year-old my daughter came to work you know she hears that story again like it's so <laughs> impersonable at times because yep. you know, it's just this room of blank faces and um and you know just even i appreciate that routine from when they did the ivf the first time they they did exactly the same thing the second time with the the picture and putting on the fridge and and I just thought they dealt with all those medical situations really well. None of them were cringeworthy. None of them were were horrible. It was just a nice way of doing it. Yeah, that's it's a good point. Again, the whole thing was so impersonal, right? And for someone who hasn't gone through that experience, you don't know how impersonal it is. But you know what? It's probably like any procedure for, for doctors and medical professionals. It, it, it has to be, right? And so it's another good, really good pickup. And look, the last thing I wanted to talk about was... Um, basically the final fight scene that they had once, once everything went belly up on the, on the IVF. And there's, there's a line that, that Rachel says, and I just, I love it so much. And it, it, she just says, I'm so sad. And, and that's, it, is there a more heartbreaking line than someone admitting to you that they're sad? It's so, it's, it's so simple, but it's, it's so, it's as deep as you could possibly get to try and tell someone how you're feeling. And I, I'm, I'm so sad. And then, that, that leads into Richard admitting that he's relieved that it didn't work. And, of course, they have that fight about how often they have sex. And this is what the process has done for them. Like, it, it's it's entirely broken them. Um, they're both in that scene. They're both well within their rights to feel the way that they feel. But it doesn't bode well for a successful relationship. And it just shows how toxic this process is for them. And, I mean, I'm just listening to these two people talking and I'm feeling for both of them and I'm understanding both of them and, what a great way to put that together. And just, again, excellent dialogue and just excellent yeah. chemistry between these two. It was awesome. 
that was probably yeah probably my second favorite scene <laughs> and just just the you know the the idea that you know he's like i know i'm supposed to comfort you but i can't yeah and, and just the conclusion of that with that fade to black was just with no resolution it's just like this is where we're leaving him for the night it was just so impactful um yeah, yeah and you got that 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 would last days right they wouldn't you know you have that fight that lasts a few days not that they're mad at each other that they should be mad at each other but they're not normal for for days and days after this because of that well i think that led into the this the title that said nine months later so exactly it, yeah. you know yeah. however long it took him to to rebuild and reconnect and obviously that that the final few scenes give us an idea that they have been able to do that which was really nice so yeah i think that was really which you don't doubt either like no. you, you kind of don't doubt that but it doesn't mean that they've gone through hell and back just to come out in exactly the same position on the other side hmm all right. Well, um, a couple of other things that I enjoyed, I guess, was the, there was there was a scene where they came out from after the procedure, and they're in the back seat of the taxi, and the taxi is just bumping along. And um, that before she even, I was just feeling every bump as they went along, just before that, like hadn't even that's, said anything. That's like, true. Oh my God, I'm feeling that. You were feeling this. I'm like taxi driver. Come on, mate. Come on. Um, so I thought, like, you know, how how good is that if you can feel that through what you're watching? You're um, right. Good filmmaking. Yeah. The. I thought the way that they retold the story of the the failed adoption through that young teenage girl was really um, almost traumatizing as a viewer. Like it was, and it was so well done that you could see how much they put into this 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 whole effort and, and wanting for this to work. Um, it was just heartbreaking, and I thought that, but I thought it was done really well through this uh, flashback by telling their new adoptive adoption um, person, I guess, the story. So I thought that was done really nicely too. Particularly when you know that that process comes back so it wasn't just the opportunity to use 10 minutes to show a backstory of how much mm-hmm. they've worked through that you know this is this is their reality at the end as well and uh, it's 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 a nice little uh throw from back and forth I, I thought all the scenes where they find out the news of the failures and the disappointments they were just all well done like the sound cutting out the shower stopping the fades to mm-hmm. black they, it was just done nicely that you knew exactly what was happening didn't need to to be told exactly what was, it made me understand and i just appreciate that from a filmmaking point of view not blatantly having someone walk in and go it didn't work or something like that you know yeah. it was just so tastefully done um paul, paul giamatti letting the air out of the mattress just yeah yeah <laughs> brilliant <laughs> um the, when they were sitting there going through that online list of, of possible donors, uh, this this was just a, a funny one for me. They they find this one, they're like, oh, she's cute. And, you know, she's got a BA in journalism and cinema studies. And then, you know, oh, no wonder that, you know, she's uh, selling her eggs. She can't get a job. I had a good laugh. I thought that was funny. Was you know, funny. No, I, I have a Bachelor of Media Studies majoring in cinema studies. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I hope you laughed. I thought it was funny. I can, uh, I can vouch for the fact that you got to look elsewhere if you want to find work. <laughs> oh goodness um i thought that the scene trying to ask sadie to be that donor at the kitchen table just the the ability to create that idea of the nervousness that they had of asking her that question and you're just sitting there going oh how are they going to do this and then that question where they go um yeah what do they say oh we wanted to talk to you about your eggs and she's like oh yeah scrambled's fine i just thought that was a really nice way to slice that tension and just be like oh okay we can move on for another couple of moments before we have to deal with that again yeah. Um, the you mentioned this before as well that that scene with Sadie and Rachel lying in bed, and um, Sadie making that comment about you know 
um, will our baby grow up to be a writer? And she's like, oh, you know, you and Sam's baby. And she's like, no, no, our baby. And it's just this lingering thought of the complexities of this whole situation of having a relative involved in this process sure. and whether it's going to happen as well. Um, and then finally, that was awkward. The, that was it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> The, the final one I've got is that final scene where they're sitting there at the diner for this new adoptive um, person to poss possibly pop up. And I just really appreciated Richard getting up from one side of the table, sitting on the other side of the table and then holding Rachel's hand just to, and leaves that open question whether, you know, because he's, he's changed, they're better in their relationship. Is this going to work? And then obviously the credits start rolling. So I could have sat through the whole credits the whole time with that camera just stuck on those two waiting if we needed to. They could have let that run the whole time. Yeah, you bang on. That was perfect. Because at the end of the day, this is a movie about a relationship more than anything else. And to see that stability in their relationship through everything. But also I liked the idea of him moving sides to almost be more open to the idea that someone else is coming. Uh, you know, that, that whole power of power of the mind and, and um, law of attraction kind of thing. I, I think that sat well with me too, that last time he sat there and even just sitting there, you know, it'd be awkward if someone else came in and sat with him, but the way that he moved then worked as well. It was, you're right. It was a perfect end. And I'm, yeah. when, was, when those credits started rolling, I'm like, this is all I need. And I, I would have, I, I didn't care that no one came in because you know what we're talking about a couple of minutes, like who's ever on time, but mm. it would have been nice almost to see like a ring on the door that could have been anything, but uh, either way, I just, it was perfect. Yep. Good. All right. Um, what are some things that didn't stand out in this one for you? There's honestly not much, man. Like I, I was clutching at straws for this, but I didn't necessarily know if we needed the, um, the idea of Sadie taking too many meds um, to try and help the, the chances of her being able to produce more eggs. Like it, it felt like that didn't add too much to the story except kind of to get her out of the house that, that she was living in and um, and sort of move her right, move her out of the story a little bit. It, it, and that sort of combined with the scene where Sam sees her injecting herself, it just kind of never led anywhere. Um, so I don't know I, if we really needed that. I, I did like at the end when, um, when you see them take Sadie to the place, the castle sort of thing where she's riding. It was almost like Richard and um, Rachel recognising that we probably did the wrong thing by trying to bring Sadie into this. Let's recognise that we, we still are there for her as a supportive aunt and uncle and, and move on from it. Um, but that, that whole part of the story didn't necessarily work for me. I, I, I didn't hate it because in the back of my mind, I was having these, these thoughts like, is Sam going to then go to, to Rachel and Richard and say, I think she's using drugs or cause she was obviously working with them as well. I just had these different thoughts in my mind. Like obviously you I thought that too. That, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, a little bit of a nice little miscue, I guess. But yeah, and I did appreciate. Julian yeah, I just don't know if it needed it. Yeah, I, I liked the um, when they do take her to that art school at the end that they make a deal that, you know, they didn't have to pull any favors to get her in that, to that spot too. That was nice. That was really good. That was good. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, is that it? That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's the only yeah, thing I've got. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, well, I didn't have anything. So um, I guess we'll, we'll continue moving on to some themes and some ideas in this. Yeah, look, it's it's all about that incredible process, right? Um, you know, I just I've got an enormous respect for anyone who's going through this with nothing but the best intentions in mind, and I, I kind of like the fact that the movie could very easily go down the whole life is un, unfair route, but it doesn't. It, it it kind of anticipates that the audience is already accepting or beyond the fact that we know life is unfair, and this is just another one of those reasons why. 
but here's what here's what the impact of what what this can actually do and i think that was a really well it was well received by me to to go down that route and i, I appreciate it but it probably also talks a lot about support and the systems that are in place for support and this is why this movie becomes more universal than just people going through this specific issue the idea of having support and systems in place for support is is relevant for anything that you're going through and um it, it probably stems down as well to the fact that your relationship and, and is the most important thing and why it's important to continue to focus on your relationship whilst you've got all this external noise going on. Um, again, something that doesn't have to be specific to, to going through the difficulties of conception, but whenever things are difficult, make sure you base yourself on a really stable and strong relationship because that's the last thing that you want to be uh, bringing, you know, toxic behavior into. Yeah. And that, that idea of relationship too, about, you know, what, what is a normal relationship? What is a normal process? What is, what is a normal way of conceiving? Is there a normal way? Like, is, mm -hmm. does it matter as long as, as long as your relationship works and you're happy, then that's okay. Um, and I get this whole idea of waiting too. Like they make this idea about, you know, having a career before or a life before you have kids and, not, they don't make any commentary on whether you, you can't have both or anything like that, but obviously it's making it tricky for the situation that they're in because mm -hmm. this, this city life that as young artists that they wanted to live in, in the city in New York, um, maybe it's no longer what it was. And they make mention about the theater is gone. There's a new Citibank tower. The streets have changed. The, the, the people have changed. And there's this big emphasis on this traveling to the suburbs to go visit the family. You always see these mm. long shots of them in the car traveling, passing through nature, those types of things. And, you know, New York, you see these, these trees that have got no leaves and this mm. idea of this, and I'm not like a barren, these barren trees, which leads into, you know, is, is this what they have to do to, to be successful in their relationship and in their quest is, is move to the suburbs, move away from this city life. Um, and, you know, they, they've got this, this desire that not, they don't want to give up to this idea of not giving yeah. up this. You want something so badly you can continue, even if you do go through trauma or this infertility or the, these, these really tough situations, if you, you, you stick it out, you continue, you show resilience, you show, show resistance that, you know, anything is, can be possible. And you focus on what's important throughout all of it as well. I mean, you might not work, but as long as you keep stable and you keep strong with your relationship, then yeah. nothing ventured, nothing gained, I guess. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, what did you take away from this one? Look, it's, it's quite an exhausting film. Um, and it's quite a claustrophobic film. The way that you put in this position, you're obviously in these small medical rooms all the time getting bombarded with information that means absolutely nothing to me as an audience member, which it's supposed to. Um, and then they've got this, this tiny apartment. There's this feeling of claustrophobia. And, um, and I think that just kind of reflects that the feeling of the, the feeling of them being sucked into their own thoughts and, and feelings and, and worries. And I just, I like the fact that it, it, it brings light to this idea but it does it in a way that makes its characters feel so real and so relatable even if you can't necessarily resonate with their particular situation you know i think this is the kind of film that would that would hit hard for, for a lot of people who have been through this and it would it would ring true and it would be probably pretty tough for them to watch but they'd probably appreciate and respect it for that sense as well 
yep, it's pretty much exactly what I'm I sort of take away from it too, that people who possibly may have been through this situation, it might be a struggle for some people. Um, some may really reflect on it and be like, this is awesome that I'm seeing what I've yep. been through on the screen, but it may bring back some memories too for, for some people. And um, that's possibly something that, yeah, people would need to know going into this. That's the idea of connecting with a film, right? It's because it hits on a certain human truth that matters to you. And I mean, this is a prime example of that for yeah. some. All right, IMDb time. Did you jump on to check anyone out? Yeah, I did. I did twice for this film. And and one of them, I, 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 I kind of like, so Dr. Dordick is played by Dennis O'Hare. Um, and I've seen him in a few things. He's always going to be Russell Edgington from True Blood, uh, one of the real evil vampires from one of the later seasons. And every time I see him in things, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's the guy from True Blood. And and it certainly was. The other one was, was Cynthia Grimes, who's... who's played by Molly, Molly Shannon that we spoke about. And then she's just got that familiar face and she's obviously from the sort of Saturday Night Live fame, but it's Wet Hot American Summer that, that sticks in my mind from her. That's, that's what I remember her from most. Good. Um, I, I looked up John Carroll Lynch, who was um, Charlie. Charlie? Yes, which is Russell's brother. Stepbrother, yeah. Um, stepbrother, yeah. So... He's just in so much stuff. Like if you go on his IMDb page, it's such a good page. Um, and I was yeah. just trying to work out what I'd seen him in recently because I've seen him in so much stuff. Um, you know, American Horror Stories in Fargo. Um, he's in The Founder, the McDonald's movie. But the, uh, Yeah, he is. He's one the, of the brothers with Nick yeah, Offerman. He is, yeah, yeah he is. Um, but the, the one thing, and I think this is possibly on your watch list, um, is he plays Arthur um, Arthur Lee Allen in the Zodiac um, film. So, ah, okay. Um, yeah, so big big role in Zodiac. Um which is a great film with uh, he, Jake Gyllenhaal. He is always going to remind me of the he's in the Drew Carey show. Um, I actually think he plays, he might even play Drew Carey's brother or something in it. But I, every time I've seen him, ever since that, I <laughs> barely watched a Drew Carey show, but I watched it a bit as a kid. He has always been the guy from the Drew Carey show for me. Uh, good. All right. Um, any questions that you want to ask? Just a quirky one for you. There was a scene where Paul Giamatti is putting on his shoes and he puts on one and he ties it up before he puts on the other one. Now, for me, I, I put on both my shoes and then I tie up the shoelaces. And it just it just looked weird watching him do it. But it, what do you normally do? Yeah, I had to visually think what I do. I put both my shoes on and then tie yeah, them up. then you tie them up. Yeah. Okay. It just looked super weird. And I wasn't sure if it was like a Paul Giamatti putting his shoes on thing and that's what he does. Or they wanted to sort of kill time a little bit. So he just sat there doing up one before he put the other one. I don't know, but it looked weird. Pick up, man. Didn't, didn't notice. Um, <laughs> I had this in here, but we've already discussed this anyway. It was just the ending. And I think we're both pretty happy with the, the way that the film ended. Um, yep. So I, I guess the further to that, could, um, could, the, could Rachel and Russell as a couple um, have been just as rewarded by, um, I keep calling him Russell. <laughs> Rachel, <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> Rachel and Richard, um, could they have been just as rewarded as a couple by just taking Sadie in and just looking after her? Or was that? No. No, it wasn't going to work? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think that would have satisfied their paternal instincts. Um, they wanted to be a parent. They didn't want to be a you know, someone who's going to care for someone because even when she was being taken in, she was still, they were still playing aunt and uncle to her. Um, yep. And 
yeah, I don't think that was what they were after. One of the good things about this film, though, is I, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to end. I wasn't, you know, what, what's the right way to end this kind of film? Do you end it with, hey, you got pregnant and then they have a baby? Or do you end it with, hey, it didn't work and then they stop trying? Um, yeah, it's kind of hard because you're trying to tell a story that, you know, I don't know the stats, but I'm sure that IVF is pretty low percentage of still working, better than normal, but a lot of people do IVF more than once before it actually works. So you, you kind of want to be true to that as well. Good. Um, final thing was just the title, Private Life. Do you like it? I do like it because, um, as I said, it's, this is about this is a really general story about their life that's got a big, big situation in it. But I do like that it, it, it reflects the fact that it's covering the fact that it's a life thing. It's not just a situational thing. Yeah. But it is very easy to forget. Um, yeah. and it doesn't really stick with you all that well. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking because everything in their life is anything but private. So I don't know. I just, I don't know whether, yeah, like if that was intentional, that that was that play on words. But yeah, I don't know. I not. I don't know. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's not, if I, if I tried to be like, oh, what did I just watch? I was like, oh, that title doesn't really go with the film. I don't know. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do appreciate it, but it's not the perfect title. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're almost ready to wrap this one up where we each give the film a rating out of five and then give it a flicks form average. So what have you got for this one, MJ? Yeah, look, it was, it was an important film. It was, it was powerful. It was, it was somewhat raw, but it wasn't stripped back enough that you still can't enjoy it from a real just narrative level. Um, And all the while it was aided by great characters, great performances that are just as good as everything else that was happening. It's a really solid three and a half stars for me. Nice. Well, yeah, I'm, I just thought this was really well put together film, really hard to fault. Um, some extremely memorable scenes that showed some raw emotion that came down to some of the performances, I guess, for me. Um, and it's really nice to see this story be told. Um, I'm giving it a four out of five. I was close to giving it a four. So that gives us an average of a 3.75, which is um, very, very nice. Up there in the, yeah. the higher sort of category. Uh, we Absolutely. are on socials. We have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. Pop a question up every week. This week, the, the question I've got is, how can you be supportive of denial? And this isn't necessarily about um, Rachel and Richard. This is more in relation to Cynthia and, and almost her denial about her relationship with um, her daughters, with her family, with her husband. So, how, like, I was just putting this, like, how could someone support her? Because I've, out of all the characters in the film, I feel like she was probably the most isolated without a massive support for her. So how can you support someone that's in such denial of, of their surroundings? And yeah. to that point, it's probably the one thing that we didn't discuss as much was the fact that there was this story there, whether they went into it as much as they could have of, of her and, and her husband and, and the role that he played with her. And yeah, mm. as commendable as any other character in this film, I thought he was and stuck to his guns where he could, and but still supported her where he could. And was also juggling a family and a brother who's, going through a lot of stuff and it's um i don't think they really they explore that question as much as you probably want to explore it with 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 this conversation but it's um it's still an important part of the film and i like that you've picked up on that yeah good all right well um we're back again next week 
Now this week, I'm, well, the one for next week, I, I've had on my watch list since it came out and Ooh. I've always been daunted by it, by its runtime. Um, oh, no. I, I, I know this story um, and I was so tempted to watch it when it came out. And then when we started this show, I was like, I'm just going to wait until we get to the show to do it. Oh, so, so you waited two years? <laughs> I've waited two years. We've, yeah, we've almost been doing it for two years now. So uh, yeah. uh, it's a 2018 Norwegian one. Um, it's a crime drama and it's called 22 July. It's directed by Paul okay. Greengrass. Um, it stars Anders Danielson Lay and John Oygarden. So um, Norwegian cast, it is based on a, a true story about um, an island. I won't say much more about that, but um, I know what, the, what's the, the run actual story. Oh, I'm out of interest. About two and a half, possibly. <laughs> ah, okay, cool. Uh, when you said you're worried about the runtime, I was like, ah, oh, crap, what have I got myself into here? Yeah. Two and a half. So, yeah. But anyway, so I'm looking forward to it because I know the, the true story. So I'm looking forward to seeing the um, representation on the screen. I'm fascinated already. Good. Well, um, thank you very much for catching up. Thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you, Matt. Yep. Uh, another good one to talk about. And it was it was a lot of fun. We've been on a bit of a run lately with some okay ones. It's been weird. I was thinking that too. <laughs> yeah, we've had some higher ratings recently. So that's good. Netflix has got their shit together. Uh, all right. Well, I will see you next week. Say that, mate.